0: No, it's not all it is, obviously, but it's the most <laughs> important. <laughs> That's all I do. I just walk around casting visions. Um, no, but but you do need that. It's, yeah.
1: it's really important. Hello, and welcome to episode 155 of the Rockstar CMO effing marketing podcast. I'm your host, Ian Trussler. I'm no rockstar, but on this weekly podcast, I chat with the true rockstars. My fabulous guests and chums that I've met on my journey from techie to CMO, sharing the marketing street knowledge that Jason Falls described as a variety show for marketers. Come say hello. I'll include links to me, my guests, and all the things we talk about in the show notes or in our weekly newsletter. And you can find links to those on rockstarcmo.com or rockstarcmo on LinkedIn or Twitter. It's Saturday, the 25th of February. Thank you for joining us. I hope you've had a good week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week in the marketing studio, Jeff Clark and I share some tips on finding your ideal customer profile. I go backstage with tech startup CEO Brandy Johnson from the Coupon Bureau, and I wind down the week with Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment.
2: We'll be right back. This we'll be right back. will be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Hyler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy.
1: Time for our first segment, The Marketing Studio, with Jeff Clark for our weekly dose of marketing street knowledge from our resident rockstar CMO, strategy advisor, and former research director. At
3: Welcome, Ian, to the studio. <laughs> nice to have you back this week. Thank you very much,
1: mate. Thank you very much, mate. And welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. As we do our normal awkward welcome each other to our <laughs> respective things, <laughs>
3: it's tough when it's virtual. This whole virtual world is.
1: Uh, yes, it's getting to me. Yes,
3: anyway, indeed.
1: Although I would find the com- commuting to uh, Massachusetts to do this once a week a little
3: onerous. I uh, <laughs> likewise, as much as I would, and I love <laughs> much so I would love to spend time in your beautiful countryside. Uh, yeah. I just have to move there. I can't. I wouldn't be able to commute every week.
1: <laughs> well, you'd be very welcome. And and, uh, and also the sun's out today here, so yeah. I know that we start with the weather, so, the, uh, so it's a jolly nice day to be here. You know, the sun is out
3: here as well, although we are expecting... Wow. nine inches of snow uh, this evening. Um, wow. Which is like, you know, we haven't had any snow that has lasted yeah. more than an hour uh, since December, so we're... Uh, yeah. Yeah. eagerly wait awaiting i guess <laughs> yes, well we
1: have um yeah and the, um i remember coming to boston i think one of the earliest times i went to boston it, it was like easter time and it had been it had been like deep 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 snow and then when we went at easter it had been it was 80 degrees so that's <laughs> That's the weird well, thing that, about this. As
3: as, as as winter wraps up, you you know, and the temperatures kind of hover around yeah. freezing, you get you get these really big snowstorms, yeah. and then it like warms right up, and it goes away, and yeah. in a week later, you had no no indication that it happened.
1: Is that yeah? anyway we better get on with some marketing talk this weather stuff i know that we're absolutely well renowned as international experts on the weather but we've probably know climatologists climatologists i love that yeah whereas really most most of our listeners also know us not only as climatologists but as market technologists as well so we should we should probably move to that topic uh, and then this week uh, after we finished chatting last week and uh, i didn't we didn't in, we didn't announce this to the listeners we decided we'd have a little chat about one of the many acronyms that's thrown around when you're defining your target market so there's all these terms that we hear like total addressable market tam total serviceable market tsm and all those other terms that get get banded around but i want to focus today uh, on um ICP, ideal customer profile. Say you, Jeff. What do you think? What is an ICP?
3: What is an ICP? And I, I'll just take a, a slight diversion mm. because I love you know. There's a there are websites where they they list acronyms, <laughs> and if you take an acronym and it's like I, yeah. ICP, what the heck's an ICP? And then you look up ICP, and you'd see, yeah. you know, in chemistry it means this, and <laughs> climatology means that. Yeah. But in marketing, it means ideal customer profile, yes. and so as you're as you're winding your way through total addressable markets and serviceable markets what you need to get down to mm-hmm. is an ideal customer profile because you may like if you're trying to start a business and you're saying well our total addressable market is x that's helpful for investors yeah. to know but if if you, you want to prove that you're you're um, you're going to be successful that'd be like well within that total addressable market what's the ideal customer and so You know, defining it by looking at, um, you know, firmographic data, you know, organizational needs, pain points, environmental factors, Mm -hmm. purchasing behavior. You can start to build a picture of the type of customer that you're going to be most successful with. It's going to be most happy with you. You're going to be most happy with them. And it's a level up from defining your personas because the personas are the buying team within that ideal customer.
1: Right, so we've and I think we've talked a little bit about personas. I'm sure it's a topic oh, yes, we'll come we back have. to many times. Yeah, um, so we're sort of between between personas, and I think that term you mentioned at the beginning. It's a total addressable market, right? So we know the category we're in, and broadly, you know what that looks like, and where our competitors are, and the general size of what that market looks like. And this is us narrowing down a bit, just above the persona line. Going, this is actually the kind of company we want to work with, yep. right? yep yeah and when when i was thinking about this and i've, I've done some icp work as well is sometimes i've I, I i've worked in organizations that have multiple products in in set slightly different categories or in different markets different buyers and stuff like that do you do you create an icp for all those different markets you might be in so let's say i don't know you sell a portfolio of technology and one of them is a sort of ERP-type focused solution. Another one is a supply chain-type focused solution. Do you then create an ICP for all the different offerings that you have?
3: Well, there's, a, a I guess, a yes and a no answer to that question. And certainly, <laughs> yeah. you know, fewer is better because you're really you're trying to get down to an ideal. Yeah. You're not trying to, like, talk about everybody you could sell to. So, um, you right. know, I mean, certainly as a company is starting out, you know, you te- you 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 start with one, you test the results, and then you build up. And so, yeah. if you're, you know, if you are um, taking your product and you're you're branching out, and maybe maybe you're hitting other, uh, you know, markets, industries, but the solution is fairly similar. You know, like we talked about ERP. So let's yeah. say your accounting product. Uh, you know you smell it, yeah. sell the small businesses particularly professional services so legal engineering fi- you know financials or whatever those are all going to have very similar needs they're going to have very similar pain points similar right. uh you know firmographics in terms of size of company the only thing that's different is they might be in different mm-hmm. markets but then you know, if you all of a sudden you hit a market, um, like say that accounting package has features that work in the public yeah. sector, so municipalities, county, state, whatever government, et cetera, yeah. then it's like, oh my gosh, now all of a sudden I probably have different um, buying scenarios. I have different um, different mm-hmm. pain points. Every, certainly everything's going to be, you know, the, the, the vernacular, mm-hmm. every, how I talk about them is going to be very different. So there's where I might say, now I need to create a variation. Mm-hmm. And then as you get to very distinct products, like you're saying, you know, I, I've got accounting, manufacturing, supply chain, but da, da 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 Then, yeah. then I think yeah. Um, yeah, the the suite might have an ICP, but then if you also sell those yeah. as distinct solutions, um, then I think you branch out and you, you, you create another one, another
1: right. ICP for them. So I said... So it's a bit like the discussion we've had on personas, which is that you have as few as you can and you cluster them around needs. So in this case, we'll cluster around some of the criteria that I think we're going to talk about in a minute about what makes up an ICP, right? So it'll be about... Um, size of me, industry needs maturity all that kind of stuff right okay so when i was uh, looking at this um um i was wondering if it's related to account-based management which we talked about before and in fact we chucked it into the rockstar since most <laughs> important because we just think abm so is just yeah. good b2b marketing yes. right yes. so but are you like, bringing
3: it back well, out we're well, on um, is it wet <laughs> No, 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 no. I thought
1: while we're on, while we're on the acronyms and just to sort of give some context to it for anybody that's listening that may be thinking, oh, this sounds a bit like, a, this might relate to ABM. What's your view? Well, ABM is account-based it's marketing. Just, you don't want to even. <laughs> not, it's not anti-ballistic
3: missiles. Just to clarify the acronym. But, you know, since, since ABM is, you know, you know, good marketing or good target, good account targeting. Yeah. I think it's kind of, yeah. Redundant with it, uh, certainly if you're, if you're taking a, you know, wholehearted ABM approach, absolutely you, mm. you know, this fits in, but, but it actually, you, you can't say that it applies only to, to that, uh, that approach. I mean, it really right. just a- applies and yeah. it gets broader than marketing because this is really about your total go to market yeah. sales, services, marketing, working together. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's much broader than ABM. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, I. Just, I mean. I know it's an acronym. We don't. Neither of us particularly enjoy. I just thought I'd bring it up there. So, I'll ask the next obvious question. I'm going through the what and the why. So, what's, <laughs> what's the why? Why should we create the, what? the ICP? The why, the who,
3: the where? Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it. I mean, it's... I've interviewed people before. You know. Yeah. yeah really. <laughs> <laughs> you get your journalistic skills. Okay. Who? What? Why? When? Where? <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Yeah. You know, the thing is that I think people should realize this is not uh, kind of an academic exercise. I mean, it's really integral to mm. designing good account plans, integral to developing your content and campaign strategy. It's about, you know, who mm. are we going to go after and, and and who are we not? And particularly, you know, who are we not going to go yeah. after so that we because yeah. so, we're, we're trying to make sure we're going to get customers who are going to be happy with us for the long haul. And particularly when yeah. you're starting out and you don't have a lot of time to to waste, you know you you're, you're you're trying to say how do I get you know fast sales cycles, faster sales cycles, or how do I get good conversion rates? How do I mm-hmm. lower my customer acquisition cro- costs? How do I get good you know long term uh, lifetime value from my customers? Um, you know lower churn. I mean these are things that that mm-hmm. particularly when you're starting out are extremely important. But even as you get mature you know, and you start, uh, I guess, developing bad practices, <laughs> then, then, you know, <laughs> going back and and looking at your ICP, um, is, is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause, and it's one of those things uh, like your, like your strategy evolves over time. And so you may need yeah. maybe something you want to need to revisit on a regular basis.
1: Yeah. I think it's like all of the disciplines that we talk about, isn't it? It's like when you develop your personas, um, You know, they're not just shoved into the proverbial marketing drawer and um and never seen the light of day again, right? They're things you need to refer to on a regular basis. Otherwise if if they're if they're not, then it's not relevant, right? So you've obviously not done what you need to do. Yep. Um so um and and also, what I liked there was you were talking about how it also describes who not to go after. Which I what I quite like about some of the things that we talk about here is when you get focused on who you do want to go after, it's a bit of it. It's a tough discipline, isn't it, for a sales and marketing team to exclude anyone? But it, this just naturally happens. I, I had
3: a discussion with a client yesterday. Is like, well, there's a there's a retail yeah. customer who you know we used to do business with, and they're interested in talking to us again. It could be big, you know. And it's like, well. Okay, that's mm. that's outside your uh, your your ICP or ICPs. Uh, yeah, it's a yeah. different industry with a totally different uh, uh, way of doing business, and you know, and they may not, you know, they may come and go again because they may not be a great fit for the long term. So, um, you know, do you not take mm. the order if they give you an order? Well, no, but but don't fool yourself <laughs> that you're you're going down a different path, creating a different ideal customer unless that's a totally different yeah, business that's a, switch you're, you're making.
1: That's a very really good point as well, isn't it? Is that, is that be, having an ICP doesn't mean you're being restrictive. There are always going to be outliers and there are always going to be these bluebirds that come by and stuff like that, but you still need to figure out whether that's good business or not. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And so, um, so if we're going to develop this ICP, which we must, where are we going to start? Well, you know, as as we kind of w- tick
3: through the information that we want to use to describe our ideal customer data, so like a firmographic data, like the size of the company, the industry are they're mm-hmm. in, is it a buying center within a particular account? What are the pain points the organization needs? What are the purchasing behaviors? So, is there a buying team? Who's at the head? Do they What's the length of um, their typical okay. buying cycle? Uh, you know, what are the environmental factors that, that, that influence buying, um, you know, trans external um, factors that influence their decision-making, you know, you can, you can go to both qualitative and quantitative sources to get information um, that helps you, you know, build that picture. So, you know, you may look, look at your own customer database, Mm -hmm. you know, from a quantitative perspective, you know, you're in your CRM system, you've got information. So, you know if you have any history that can help you and you see history of customers that are long standing customers then that helps you build out that profile yeah. but you also um could go to third party databases and say i think i i think i found you know an ideal profile in my existing customer base so how do i extend that out to other you know lists of other you know similar right. businesses um but you know uh looking at um when you get into the pain points and the organizational needs, win loss analysis, interviewing customers, which we often talk about, yeah. talking to analysts, uh, you yeah. know, doing voice yeah. of the customer um, exercises, those are all. Um, they can be both uh, qualitative and, like with win loss analysis, can mm-hmm. be quantitative. Um, you know, doing uh, in the purchasing behavior, doing journey mapping, uh, also doing if if you know you this fits for you, doing. Uh, Using tools like customer journey analytics um, can be helpful. Uh, uh, And then with the environmental factors, you know, look at, um, again, talking to analysts from a quality perspective, looking at the competitive landscape. Um, You also can get into things like predictive analytics, where if you've got a large internal and external data sets you can work with, you can kind of use all of this information to draw correlations to what your high value accounts are uh and sometimes you come up right. with interesting uh interesting results as to what f- influences the ideal customer.
1: Yeah, I like that. And, and and when we were talking about this before I thought now there's a rabbit hole that we could definitely yes. dive down. Yes. One of the Lots of rabbits down there. Just as, Yeah, <laughs> just to say what you're talking about there. So when you're talking about firmographic data, now how is this relevant? Then, so what? So, for example, you know, for the firmographic data, you're you're saying my ideal customer is is X X in size, right? Has the team structure, is in this industry, and the buying center looks like this. How, what are we doing there? Are we correlating that to where our customers fix? I really like what you were saying there about. Look in your CRM and find your ICB almost right. Is yep. that you already know who your ICP you, is, and you'll have a cluster in in, in this. Yeah,
3: I mean, if yes, if if you've got yeah. if you've got history, you may already know. Yeah. Uh, you know what are the outliers, and what are the um, you know where yeah. the the customers are that are I mean the ones that are developing long term value for you as an organization that stick mm. with you, and so yeah. when you think about like if I take back the sort of the ERP accounting. Uh, example we were yeah. talking about you know it's like so i found a size customer and if i get too big yeah. um it gets too complicated for me to execute upon so right. my my i may have issues as an organization actually you know dealing with a fortune 500 company where i'm, yes. I'm really good yeah, at dealing yeah. with a small business around you know around the corner yeah. uh and yeah. and again if i'm my, I find you know, uh, and you know, again, one of the clients I've been working with. It's like you know, we have really good customers in municipalities, in independent schools, in um, uh, you know, in some you know, manufacturing organizations, etc. Some prof- some types yeah. of profession, but it's like you know, as soon as I get outside of those core, I you know, we just don't know how to deal with them as well. We don't have as good relationships right. and I may be, I may be moving into a buying center. Like maybe if I go into, into, if I'm not used to working in the public sector, I go into the public sector, I yeah. buying centers that I just, I don't know how to deal with them because they have different rules, right. different people involved in the, right. in the purchasing process
1: right so the idea here is, is to it's basically finding focus isn't it is where, where the best place to put to put your marketing and sales bets right yep and the, the the other thing is well i mean with things like size that's often an indication of budget and stuff also isn't it what we're trying to secretly figure <laughs> out is whether you know what kind of organization has the kind of budget and need for yep. the solution that we're selling right yep, yep. Yeah. And so what what would be, what would be an example of that ICP then? What sorts of things would you put into those four buckets that you just talked about?
3: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I was thinking, as I was thinking of this, I was thinking about a client that I had back in the Forrester days that, um, uh, Mm -hmm. that was looking into um, customer journey analytics. And, and so, um, you know, fairly new technology area. And, um, and it's one of those things that, you know, theoretically, you know, as a marketer who's interested in understanding customer journeys, it's like, you'd say, well, you know, everyone could use something like this. Um, yeah. but at the time, uh, and I certainly think it's still true today is that there's really only a subset of companies, uh, accounts that really for whom this is an ideal solution. So it would be a, a high value to the, um, you know, to the vendor and would be good repeat customers. So, you know, if I think about the firmographic data, it's, it really isn't for small enterprises, really for large enterprises, typically enterprises that have an e-commerce or somehow an account, uh, online account management capability. Um, If you, and there has to be complexity because you got to draw from a lot of different data sources. So they may be combined, you know, e-commerce with retail, uh and so then you get into a small number of markets you know retail telco finance banking etc um and yeah. the pain points um are going to be very similar poor customer experience uh challenges with sales conversion rates disconnect between uh your sales and marketing programs as to how to execute and um okay. you're going to have a similar buying processes cuz it's going to be you know big Buying teams, collaborative buying process across, you know, marketing, sales, operations, customer experience office.
1: Uh, and, um, you know, so and, you're moving into purchasing behavior. So, you're, so yeah. you, so you did the firmographic data, which is sort of describing what the enterprise looks like. Then the pain points, new yep. organization needs, which you just said, and this is the purchasing behavior, right? Per- How it is that they buy from you.
3: Yeah. They, they're going to have long sales cycle yeah. or per buying cycles. Um, yeah. they may have yeah. consultants engaged in the account. So, you know, you're, so now right. you're looking for companies that are working with an Accenture, or Capgemini, etc. Yeah. Um, And then the environmental factors, you know, and and this is one of the things that sometimes uh, predictive analytics that we we ever pull in feeds about a lot of other interesting data is that you may find that um, there's press about related customer experience issues. There's maybe they're in a highly competitive market, You maybe like in some of the telco markets where it's like, oh, now I'm looking looking for people that are in a competitive market because um, Uh they're going to have pressures. On uh, on their ability mm. to uh, provide good experience and um, and uh, or, or you may be looking for you know uh, sale or cycles of the business cycle and again pressure of revenue um, where are those companies yeah. going to be hurt the most and so it's it's starting to build um, a set of environmental factors that could be part of my um, right. ICP.
1: Cool. All right. So um, and we've we've kind of coming up to, as usual. We've tried to describe describe something that's probably take an hour and 20 minutes um but and so but i just wanted to run because i think that matrix that you just described is important so there's the thermographic data there's the the type of organization you're going for what's their pain points what's their purchasing behavior and what are the environmental factors that will hinder you in that deal and i think i like that because it is very similar to like it's almost like a persona isn't it but it's a persona yep. of a business isn't it yeah and yeah yeah. All right. Um, also, um, before we we hit record, you were talking about some resources that you found for building these out. What's what, what there was something you were well, going to recommend? I'll put it in the show notes, but I don't know if you want to describe it. Yeah. Well, I think you know. So
3: there's you know one of the things I I happened upon you know a number of different sources of templates. You know, like those you know HubSpot, which does a good job on their blogs uh, with yeah. some educational things. They had they also had links to templates. Um, there was a great. Uh, uh, a guy have, have has a just a really fun um, video series on this is uh, mm-hmm. uh, TK cater cater with K A D E R um, so all yeah. kinds of things particularly he's focused on SaaS businesses but you know it's all it's all just good marketing cool. um, uh, you know cool. good good best practices for marketing so there's if you look up search you know not that you sh- actually should get off, the to rockstar CMO uh, website yeah. but <laughs>
1: there are other resources no, I, if
3: you search for yeah. <laughs> ideal customer profile
1: yeah i'll include a link to it in the show notes uh, and um, apart from of course if people want to know about this stuff they should call you so uh, and they can contact Absolutely. you through the, our website excellent all right and then the final part of our agenda what song are we playing out with today jeff
3: i am on top of the world by imagine dragons <laughs> 2012 i mean it, it's i mean if you do the work right you know you're be on top of the world and in in you know buried in the song is it says i tried to cut the corners tried to take the easy way out kept falling short of something so but he rectified it and he now he's on top of the world that's what you will do as you build out your icp Splendid.
1: splendid well a feel good song for this this saturday morning so that's splendid thank you very much Jeff. And will you welcome me back into the? Yes, next and I week? think
3: we decided we were going to talk about oh, yeah. uh, building a, a marketing team.
1: Absolutely, yes, yes. yes building a team. A bit, I? I skipped past a bit, didn't? skip past a bit because we were out of time. But yes, next week we'll be we talking about building a marketing team. I look forward to it, mate.
0: Awesome. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Jeff. And that was I'm on Top of the World by the Imagine Dragons from 2012. I will include links to the resources we discussed in the show notes. And Jeff has dropped an article on this very topic into our Street Knowledge blog, all of which you can find on rockstarcmo.com. Right, time to go backstage with my guest, Brandy Johnson, CEO of the Coupon Bureau, a fascinating non-profit tech platform that connects manufacturers, retailers and consumers with the new Universal Digital Coupon. As you'll hear, we'll be getting a startup CEO's perspective on marketing as Brandy has previously successfully led tech startups after running her own agency. It was fun to spend some time with Brandy. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Brandy, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you?
0: I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me.:
1: Hi, hey, you're very welcome. It's been a joy getting to know you before we hit record. it's It's uh, fun, and uh, we're hooked up by a friend of the show, Ted Rubin as Ted well, is...
0: Ted, Cut. the other half of Ted and John.
1: Exactly. I can't go far <laughs> without mentioning without mentioning Ted. Uh, yes, so yeah. so we've got, I, I needed to. I, I mean, Ted has been associated with Rockstar CMO almost since the beginning. We, he, he's written for us before. I've had him on the show a couple of times. Wonderful man. So te- I'll, I'll include my, my link to him in, in the, in the show notes. But let's get back to you. So, sure. so for somebody that has not had the experience of Ted introducing somebody to you, <laughs> um, what, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Sure. Um, I am currently the CEO of the Coupon Bureau, and the Mm -hmm. Coupon Bureau is a new nonprofit um, industry supportive technology company, and we're supporting Mm. a new coupon format, coupon standard, mainly for the grocery, drug, mass, dollar space for CPGs.
1: Right. Right. Okay. So we're going to have to unpick what that all means, right?
0: Yep. I know. I threw a whole bunch of (laughs) blah at you. I know. Letters and (laughs) acronyms.
1: So let's come on to that and say but what what is it actually you do there, Brandy? Right? You're the CEO, right?
0: Yep, I am the CEO. Um, but really we're we're essentially a startup. Um right. which is probably a little bit ridiculous as this is my second star- tech startup. Mm-hmm. Some might question my sanity around that. Um, but <laughs> but what I do here is really just Promote the new standard, make sure that all of our stakeholders understand how it can benefit them, and Mm -hmm. then make sure that we can get them connected into the ecosystem so that they can participate with the new coupons.
1: Right, cool. Right, so let's get to what Coupon Bureau is. I mean, it's not a bureau of coupons, is it? It's a technology and a, an API, as you were saying, and it's a standard. Yes. So tell yes. me how what that is and how it works and how it benefits consumers and retailers.
0: Sure. So currently in the U.S. market, we have um, the current coupon format is called eight one one zero. Not very sexy mm-hmm. names. I apologize, <laughs> um, but it it doesn't it doesn't um, I think take care of fraud in the way that we had all expected that it would. And fraud and counterfeiting is is rampant right now in the coupon space. So CPGs have started pulling back their budgets around, their marketing budgets around couponing. And it's a really fantastic lever for the shoppers. Um, but they've been pulling mm-hmm. back because of that fraud and counterfeiting. So, the industry wanted to create um, a new coupon format or a new coupon standard that would allow for CPGs to do direct to consumer digital couponing. They can't do that right. today. Retailers right. have uh, digital through their loyalty platforms, but the manufacturers didn't. So, that was the original intent with the new coupon format, 8112. Mm-hmm. Um, we call it universal coupons. But in the process of developing that for the CPGs, we realized that we had mitigated all the fraud. So, um, the way that the coupon bureau works is we just maintain the ecosystem of connectivity for all the various mm-hmm. stakeholders. We're like the electrical grid or the mm-hmm. FDIC of coupons. Um, we don't right. create coupons. We don't distribute them. We don't do settlement. We're literally just the technical arm that allows all the data to, to be, um, passed back and forth between the various stakeholder right. groups to enable mm-hmm. digital.
1: Right, right, right. So it's a it's a, it's a like an, a a a service, a backbone that people can exactly both sort of retail. And um, that the other thing that's really interesting that you're talking about there is there's a real drive, isn't there? And particularly mixed between DTC, like direct to consumer for brands wanting to sell to us directly, and subscriptions. But also they're also selling in store, and they, but they want to maintain that relationship. So that's the idea of the coupon, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is. And I would also say that today, most of the um, non-loyalty coupons that are issued. So the brands have Mm -hmm. two buckets of money. Typically, they've got the one that they use for trade loyalty direct with a specific retailer for whatever those marketing objectives are. But then they also have this other bucket of money that are their direct to consumer outreach. They still want them Mm -hmm. to take those in the store um, potentially or use them on their own websites. But there Mm -hmm. hasn't been a way to do that digitally and so we're trying to clean up that mess of all the paper coupons that are there today
1: right and and by doing it digitally also does that give the retailer and the um and the brand a bit more insight into the customer and the customer's behavior is that the is that part of what they're trying to do here
0: Absolutely. So I think the things that our marketers from the CPG side are most Mm -hmm. excited about Mm -hmm. is the new coupon standard can be used in digital or paper. So they could still execute paper offers, but all of them are mandatorily serialized. So on top of the fraud mitigation benefits, because they're Mm -hmm. serialized, they've got that attribution. So depending on what their their coupon provider or distribution partner's capabilities are to identify the shopper, they can attribute Mm -hmm. that serial number to that particular shopper determine where did we get them from? Which channel did they come from? Did it come from social? Did it come from our website? Um, And then follow that shopper all the way through to redemption. So definitely something that hasn't been possible before with paper coupons
1: yeah and it's a big driver isn't it to consumer Mm. behavior isn't it coupons particularly there in the us it's there is a huge there is a type of consumer that is i mean i can't be bothered to be honest with you (laughs) but (laughs) that's okay uh, and and maybe it's a bit stereotypical to say my my wife worries about that stuff more than i do because she's more no that's pretty it's
0: pretty standard actually
1: yeah but um it, it but that's an important thing, isn't it, for these brands to be able to drive that that, that consumer and therefore there's a, there's plenty of I wanna say there's plenty of money in it, which is wrong, but there's plenty of consumer behaviour driving going on here,
0: right? Absolutely. And I would say, mm. especially right now with inflation, mm. um, all of these things have become top of mind for the shopper and so savings is important and it's a great mm. lever for the marketers. It may not even be sometimes to drive a purchase. I mean, yes, of course that's usually the end goal. Um, But maybe it's to understand, have some more visibility into how their own marketing channels are behaving or which things they should add more money to. Um, We've seen some of the coupons be used to figure out which piece of creative works better in an ad. So it's it's not always the end result or the end driver being the purchase. Sometimes it's to learn consumer behavior
1: that's really interesting it's, it's almost like um a data beacon out there isn't it that the yes that you've you you can you can then associate this thing and how it gets used with how with with the whole sort of marketing chain really I think that's really yes. interesting yeah it yeah, is it's interesting. really interesting
0: I geek out yeah. on the data around that stuff so I, w- I won't <laughs> keep going there but yes super interesting
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and how's how's it going I mean are you is it, is it a standard that's been launched or is it something that's coming? Whereabouts are you guys in this?
0: Yep. That's a great question. So right now we have, um, I I would say all of the traditional coupon provider distributor partners connected. Um, Mm -hmm. we have CPGs that have content built ready to start distributing, meaning coupons. Um, we Mm -hmm. have the clearing houses who are the ones that sort the money and make sure everybody gets their money back. Mm -hmm. And our last mile has been retailer connectivity. Um, so making sure that the retailers are aware of the new standard and how it does benefit them as well, but how they can adopt and how they can complete with the new standard so right now we've got some um, mid-tier and independent grocers that are connected we've got several large regionals that are connected Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. we've got a couple of large national retailers that are in the process of connecting that we're expecting somewhere around June May June July timeframe so as that connectivity Mm -hmm. starts expanding then the marketers will be able to use the new coupon format standard um, more universally
1: Wow, I mean, there is a complicated ecosystem, isn't it? To pull together for a business, um, and so, but if I sort of focus on the marketing partners, I have of course I'm running a marketing podcast,
2: right? Yes, um, you are.
1: It's a B two B solution. <laughs> it's a B two B solution, and your customers are—is that ecosystem and those retailers? What are the? What have been the challenges with taking? I mean, it sounds to me like a bit of a no-brainer, but I don't know the industry particularly well. But what has been the challenges in selling the solution B two B?
0: Yep, I would say um, selling it. And and what's interesting is we're a nonprofit, so we don't actually sell anything. We're just trying to get them to comply. Uh Um, But but there is still that effort of selling because they have to understand the why. I would say our biggest hurdles have been two things. One, it does require a point of sale integration, because what we're doing with the new offers is we're validating them in real time. Um, And that's new for some of the U.S. market um, retailers who maybe have not moved point of sale to the cloud. So that's been a a challenge is how do we solve the the technical hurdle of getting the integration Mm -hmm. done? And then the other thing is, as soon as the retailers hear digital coupons, the only digital coupons that we have in the U.S. market today are loyalty. So they say, is this going to cannibalize my current loyalty program? And we just have to be sure to say, all of those things are working. Manufacturers love right. what's happening in loyalty. It's very successful. We're trying to clean up this direct to consumer um, mm. content that you're putting out and give you the flexibility of doing digital or paper, but with all those securities.
1: Right, 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 right. So, I mean, I miss, I misspoke there. It's not sales, it's compliance. I like that. But that's... Yeah, I guess.
0: <laughs> right, compliance so... sounds horrible, doesn't it? So, we'll say friendly sales effort. <laughs> Ad-
1: maybe adoption is a nice adoption but, um,
0: that is exactly it
1: but, um, yes and i've, I've uh, I, we've strayed away into your business and um, really i want to get this back to you so normally at this point when i'm talking to marketers i ask them what inspired them to pick marketing as their career but your career has predominantly been these entrepreneurial positions or leading these startups um but and I get the sense you lean more towards business development. And what set you off down this path? What what inspired you to start this career, predominantly in sales and business development?
0: Probably a, a comedy of errors, actually. <laughs> um, so I I did have um, a marketing agency uh, with my then husband, and Mm -hmm. one of our clients ended up being um, Holy Guacamole, which was our first food manufacturing client. Before that, we'd worked with like, you know, MLB or um, I don't know, the U.S. military. So never been in kind of the CPG business. And so in the effort of trying to market for them, uh, we said, I guess we need to learn how to do a coupon. How do we do coupons? Mm -hmm. And then that led to us developing a coupon Platform um, that was that. our my first startup, and then from there that led to us understanding the just horrible state of direct to consumer yeah. digital for CPGs, and so I decided to leave and start the Coupon Bureau. So it was kind yeah. of uh, I don't know I, I never intended to to be <laughs> you know where where we are today, but yeah. it's just where the road led.
1: Yeah, yeah. And earlier in your career, I mean, have you always been in sales and marketing all throughout your career? Always, always, yes. I've always
0: loved marketing. And I think I always coupled sales with marketing because I love to market, but I really like to see the end result at the same time. So um, bringing those two things together to me is beautiful. I think sometimes marketing and sales, especially in larger companies, traditionally, they kind of have a uh, antagonistic relationship and it shouldn't yes. be they should they yeah. should be loving each other and supporting each other because yeah, it's yeah. the yin and the yang yeah yeah
1: and that, and that and have you led sales and marketing together in the same team or is it yes oh, both. Oh, right. Yeah, no, that's yes good. we
0: no, make right. them love yeah. each other so that that they can they yeah. can grow better and support each other so yeah,
1: yeah. and I think we're seeing more of a rise in that as well because we're seeing the rise of the sort of the roles like CRO, aren't we, in big organizations yes. where sales and marketing are now starting to report into that same organization to try and solve this, this siloed <laughs> yes. th- thinking that we've had all these years. So um, so, what's, in, in, so if, if I turn to you as a CEO of a tech startup, what advice would you give to marketers who are looking to work with startups and looking to work in that environment of sales and marketing super close together? And what have you <laughs> learned?
0: Depending on the level of where the startup is, be prepared to take less money. Um, But... But I would say there's tons of opportunity, too, because in those kinds of typically in those kinds of startup environments, Mm. there's a lot more room for. Yes, you may not make as much, you know, in salary, but there's opportunity for equity. And that's a really amazing thing, because if you're doing Mm. your job well as a CMO in a tech startup, then that equity would always be more valuable eventually. But I would also say um, be creative. I know that as marketers, we're taught a lot of, you know, this is how you do this thing and this is how you do this thing. And sometimes if you just kind of take away all the constructs and say, at the end of the day, I'm trying to talk to people and get them to understand this product, Mm -hmm. be creative in the ways that you bring those things together. You don't Mm -hmm. just have to do social. You don't just have to do banner ads. Um, See what you can do to pull those things together and surprise people.
1: Yeah, I like that. And also you mentioned education there. I think that's often a challenge in startups, isn't it? Because you're often in an ill-defined category or you're trying to disrupt something. And your first sort of job is to educate the consumer that there's a yes. different way, isn't it? Is, that, is yes. that the experience you've had with your startup? I mean, the, the, the last role you had where you ran the tech startup, which was around coupons, was that into mm-hmm. an established market or did you have to do that education thing?
0: We had to do the education, but not Mm. so much with the shoppers, more with the industry to say, this is a new, different way that you can do it. And I would say for most startups, especially tech, when you're in like bleeding edge, um, trying to keep that message simple to say, Mm. we're kind of like X, Y, and Z, something they can relate to and go, oh, okay, I got it. Now, now Mm. I understand for marketers, that's probably a a challenge, a fun challenge, but, but, but under educating someone into a new concept or a new technology is is difficult but if you can really unwrap it and make it simple simply elegant then um you win every time
1: yeah that's always the challenge with tech as well isn't it that you've often got these complex uh, you're solving a complicated problem but trying to explain it in a simple way i think yes often the case isn't it yeah
0: and the best marketer will be able to do that
1: yeah yeah so as a ceo i've got to ask you from a marketer's perspective is what is it that you look for in in marketers where you've run these organizations you've run these startups and how is how what what is that interaction like what are you looking for what what do you want them to focus on so for example i talk about awareness revenue and trust these are the three things i think marketing needs to be focused on do you sort of lean in a particular way that you're looking for demand or you're looking for something particular from a marketer
0: I'm looking for creativity, well, especially mm. now. Let's talk about startup grind, right? Because yeah. it's very different than being in an established yeah. corporate environment. So, if we're talking about yeah. startup, I'm looking for for creativity. I'm looking for yeah. find me the newest, coolest way that I can get my message out there, the yeah. cheapest. Because startups typically are running on some sort of right, runway, right, um, right. and so that's difficult. But I'm also looking for um, someone who doesn't mind failing because unfortunately <laughs> marketing is a lot yeah. of failing that didn't yeah, work yeah. And i need someone yeah. who's resilient and goes well that didn't work but let's go try it yeah. this way um yeah. and encouraging them to fail not continuously obviously but not beat them down when they do um yeah
1: do you know to what to that experiment. that point is important because i i hear that a lot is that is there is an expectation that marketers will be agile and they'll fail fast and all this kind of thing But I think it's very difficult if you're not in the right environment to do that, right? It's difficult to firstly explore the bold idea that might fail because you don't feel like you're totally supported if it doesn't work out. And then it's difficult to admit failure in front of the C-suite and say, you know what, that just didn't work. But don't worry. <laughs> We're don't off worry. I have a better right? idea now. <laughs> but yeah. That's the, but, just the, but way the C-suite works. needs to yeah. be
0: supportive of that. You're right. Yeah, and yeah. I think the best companies, the ones who win, mm. do have that support for the marketing department to say, we don't know. I mean, we're dealing with humans and they're wily and they make weird decisions. So we're going to try to get to them in the way that we think will work. But if it doesn't, you're going to give us another chance. So,
1: yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point. And I, and I like that kind of environment that you're saying that you set up with the marketing team. I think that's really, that's really important, probably because you come from a sales and marketing background yourself, right? So I love them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And actually, um, just on the topic of being a CEO, not uh, it's widely reported that not a lot of CMOs make it to the big job of being a CEO. But a lot of people from sales or operations make it to the CEO. Why, why do you think that is? I mean, you've got a sales and marketing background. You've been a CEO and a successful CEO. How? What, what, what do you think marketers need to do in order to step up and get the big job?
0: I think potentially for marketers, it's a little bit of imposter syndrome because you're constantly trying things and sometimes failing because that's just... <laughs> What marketing is about, <laughs> yeah. but really marketers are vision casters. They're doing mm-hmm. it for the product. They're doing it maybe for um, their particular creative or whatever. But if you could take that gift of vision casting um, mm-hmm. and and creating a vision that everyone can work work behind, that's that's all being a CEO really. I mean, it's not all it is, obviously, but it's the most <laughs> important. <laughs> that's all I do. I just walk around casting visions. Um, no, but, but you do need that. It's, yeah, it's yeah. really important. And I think if you take, um, I've seen some really unsuccessful businesses, um, even yeah. legacy companies who were mm. so focused from the business side or the sales side mm. that you beat down your team because that's yep. the only thing that you're focused on rather than keeping everyone collectively under the vision
1: yeah yeah and some of it's that long-term short-term thinking isn't it you beat them for this yeah. quarter and then you realize there's nothing there for the next quarter right so that's, that's right interesting. yeah no I, li- I very much like that and and also um you know you can come back again if you're saying all oh, we need to be is vision casters I think that that will cool <laughs> yay Hopefully that appeals to, <laughs> to all listeners. my vision
0: casters out there <laughs> yeah. don't be afraid
1: I may... <laughs> I may change the name of my podcast <laughs>
0: we'll all do right, one I'm together gonna...
1: <laughs> yeah I, i'm gonna um what popped uh, one last well one last question about you and then i've got my final final question that everybody who listens to this show regularly knows what it is but um when i looked at your linkedin what something that popped out to me was your agency was called thunder duck production
0: <laughs> tell me about that I know. Um, so my husband, um, and I call him that cause we're still friends and I think X sounds really horrible. So my yeah. husband, uh, that was his nickname in high school. Um, <laughs> right. And where it came from is, um, his name's Jay. So everybody called him Jaybird. His coach mm. called him duck. And then he got on a hitting streak one time and one of his other coaches said you bat like thunder. So it just became thunder duck. Wow, nice. And you know, this was in the age where everything was like, Purple tricycle, and you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So Thunder Duck kind of went. Yeah, <laughs> is yeah. it still okay? Well, purple yeah. tricycle can be our next one. Blue run <laughs> <last
1: words. laughs> you, And I'm um, hopefully a listener right now is on GoDaddy reserving that domain name. Purple <laughs> tricycle. The ne- there you the next go. Purple agency. tricycle agency. All right, I was going to dig into your experience of running the agency, but we're running out of time because <laughs> I was so fascinated by your your business. So I'm going to get to our final question. Okay. We have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO swimming pool, our portal to. The marketing hell, where we throw all the bullshit snake oil and overhyped trends that plague this industry we love. What would you chuck in there?
0: I love this so much. Um, I would chunk in there mistargeted targeted coupons or mistargeted oh, wow. ads. Yeah, do not yeah. send me cat coupon ads or do not send me <laughs> cat food commercials. Stop it. Do your research. Either either blanket everybody or target me correctly. I own it. Yeah
1: i often laugh at i often laugh at what comes out of the machine by the checkout <laughs> i'm sorry i i i'm not interested in in ladies sanitary wear <laughs> Sorry, I just. But don't you, buy never them. Know. <laughs> you never know. You never know. All right, that's perfect. I love throwing that in the pool. We'll definitely throw that in the pool. So, okay, good, um, Brandy, great. this has been an absolute joy. When people spin the dial on the interwebs, where they're going to find you and maybe experience a bit of this for themselves.
0: <laughs> I would say, I would say LinkedIn is probably the best. Although mm-hmm. LinkedIn is sometimes a luxury, so send me a message. I promise I will reply. It just might take me a little bit. Um, uh-huh. Obviously, our website is great. I'm terrible at Twitter. I wish I was better, but I'm not. So uh, so LinkedIn uh, or our website for sure.
1: Excellent. And I'll include all those links in the show notes, of course. Perfect. Or, of course, you can just get in touch with Ted Rubin and he'll hook you up.
0: You probably already know Ted Rubin. So just call him and tell him to connect you to me.
1: I love it. All right, Brandy. It's been absolutely wonderful to speak to you and I'll uh, stay in me. touch. And I know you've got some other projects going, so I look forward to staying in touch and hearing about how they go. So I look forward to that. Beautiful. Thank Cheers you, my Brandy. friend.
0: It was great. Bye.
1: Thank you, Brandy. That was a lot of fun. I will, of course, include all of Brandy's links in the show notes. Right, it's time to wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker of the content advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking?
2: Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the end of the week. By the way, Mm -hmm. it is... Here in Los Angeles, we are having the it's a it's the weirdest thing. We're actually getting snow, if you can believe that. What? Um, I it is you. rainy and snowing. I mean, Los Angeles doesn't get snow, just so no. you know. Yeah. Um, and we're getting snow and hail, and it's it, wow. it is truly the, the the dead of winter here. <laughs> um, wow! So so it's a good it's good that we're at the end of the week because we're yeah feeling like um, it's been a long. A long week and uh but
1: then again yeah so i thought I, what's that what well, one thing i remember you talking about from your scottish heritage you don't mind a miserable day do you
2: we don't Nor no, normally we don't i mean yeah. this is a little weird i mean <laughs> you know what the funny thing is that the the weather the tv weather people here are absolutely freaking out yeah, yeah. they're they, they are loving this because they actually get to talk about something for once <laughs> um because, you know, the weather here in Southern California yeah. doesn't change a lot yeah. from month to month to month to month over the course of a year. Yeah. And usually it's, and sunny and 72, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. sunny and 72, yeah. and partly cloudy and 72. <laughs> and so the fact that there's storms and hail and, yeah. and they have to define this grapple thing, which is sort of soft hail and, wow. uh, and talk about the blizzard conditions up in the mountains and they are you know they've gone from one weather person to three <laughs> meteorologists in the in the daily local newscast. it's just absolutely <laughs> insane have they had that, um, to actually
1: actually get some experts in because previously it was just somebody that could just say 72 degrees. Do, do well <laughs> that is exactly
2: the case right brought, they brought yes you have your normal weather person who is you know sometimes the sports person and sometimes just you know somebody's talking about traffic yeah, and yeah you know what's going on in the local state fair or something (laughs) and uh and now they actually have to bring in like and we're bringing in special meteorologists (laughs) you know (laughs)
1: who's seen some weather before
2: (laughs) that's right that's right so anyway i I have for us tonight i thought we would celebrate with a an appropriate drink Mm -hmm. uh it's a classic cocktail it's called a dark and stormy oh yes um and this goes all the way back. This is a, uh, this is a pretty historical drink. It's been around for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's a rum drink, of course, the dark and stormy. And it, and it goes with a, a black rum as opposed to a white yes. rum. And, uh, that gives us the, obviously, the, the dark part of the dark and stormy. And then typically a ginger beer, um, or ginger mm-hmm. ale for if you like the U.S. version of yeah. that and so it's really simple it's the most simple cocktail to make you just add two parts of your rum to maybe five parts you know mm-hmm. just you know that becomes sort of your mixer as it were uh, ginger beer ginger yes. ale and a little bit of lime of a squeeze and there you go fill it up with ice and you have yourself a dark and stormy and it's absolutely delightful mm. on a dark and stormy night. Oh, i love those my sister
1: lives on bermuda and um and that's where i was introduced to dark and stormies. um with the Gosling's dark rum, uh, oh, I could really, I could do with one of those. But yeah. um, I shall attempt to make that very complicated drink <laughs> with only the ingredients of my desktop bar. I'm assuming we're putting ice in that, well, yes, yes. Uh,
2: yes, indeed. And
1: I shall put in some of the most English of rums, as I think we've agreed on previous shows, Hendrix gin. <clears throat> and I'm going to go. Oh, ah, I po- see. I'm poured lots of. Hendrix gin into that
2: glass, and it goes without saying that Hendrix should at some point uh, sponsor So this. should these Cold people at Fever
1: thing. Tree, because I'm going to go with um, the most English of gingers, which is obviously the cucumber, um, and I'm going to put some. I'm going to put. Oh, if I could get that to shush out, that's good. And then um, I'm going to put a bit of um, cucumber tonic water into this. Mine isn't very dark. I've got to tell you, mate, or stormy. But I'm going to give it a sip.
2: <laughs>
1: well. <laughs> oh, that's delicious, my friend. I, I could drink one of these every week. <laughs> I suspect you might. I suspect you might. And where uh, are we going to be taking these very fine stormy drinks?
2: Well, we shall, I, you know, I think where we have to have these is somewhere where it's always mm-hmm. dark and stormy. And I don't know if I've ever told you about. Uh, I may have. Uh, I may have uh, had on one of the shows in previous. We we may have mm. visited here. Um, my uncle, uh, who has long passed away, but my uncle um, used to own a hotel up in right. Aberdeen, uh, up in Scotland. And if I'm, I'm sure you've been to Aberdeen before, um, and it is it is the Quintessential definition of dark and stormy, (laughs) all the time there, um, where you know you right along the coast, and it is it it always reminds me of Wuthering Heights, Ah, right where there's you know cliffs Mm -hmm. and rocks and the oceans crashing up against it, and it's beautiful and it's rainy and stormy. And it feels like we should be there, all huddled up yeah. in some warm pub somewhere, drinking yeah. dark and stormy. It
1: sounds it sounds perfect. Sounds perfect. Although, of course, if you're in Scotland and you're sitting there drinking rum, <laughs> you, you might get some. You might get some odd looks. Yeah, yeah. Well,
2: you wouldn't be. Yeah, there's not a lot of rum drinking in Scotland, so we would so, probably we would probably get kicked well, out of the pub, to be honest. If we started that. <laughs> so, if we manage to find yeah. a kindly publican who will serve
1: us some rum and. Uh, and it's it's it, we're nice and cozy <laughs> against the dark and stormy what and conversation turns to marketing as it often does with us uh, what would we be chatting about
2: well i think we have to come back to uh our friends at this chat gpt ai thing um oh
1: i've heard of this I, yeah <laughs> have you have, have you been
2: hearing a little bit about this um, yes. it's it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit crazy right now mm-hmm. um you know it it's as Elton might say, it's a little bit funny, this feeling inside. (laughs) Um, The interesting thing was, so do you remember the statement, uh, the internet never forgets? Oh, yes. Yeah, so it's it that's a meme that's been around since the Mm. early 2000s. and, And interestingly, the the idea of the internet never forgets is sort of a restatement of a philosophical statement um, that was made popular in the, uh, well, 100 years ago by a philosopher uh, and sociologist Maurice Halbachs, um, who, who termed the thing, he called it collective memory. And basically the idea is in, in a collective memory, what we have are individual memories and then we have group memories. And if you've ever, and this happens to me all the time, <laughs> if you ever have sort of your friends from uh, yeah. university or uh, your family, basically that group has a memory too. And they'll tell yeah. you, you did things that you don't have <laughs> the obvious recollection of doing, right? Uh-huh. But you did them, you know, and yeah. you've long forgotten them, but the group hasn't and that group memory is basically what where we are now as a society with the internet. The internet has become society's collective memory. Mm-hmm. And that idea of the internet never forgets is is a is a big component of that. And now that obviously has provided for a lot of benefit in terms of knowledge and information retrieval and all those kinds of things, but it's also provided its fair share of challenges as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the, let's, you know, when we were young, like you, you know, old guys like you and I, there was no internet to record our, let's just yeah. call it um, formative behavior, right? <laughs> the,
1: the things that we
2: did, and we, there was no social media to post it on. There was nothing for us to embarrass ourselves on that would become no. a permanent part of a Google search if we did a search for our name. Yeah. That's not true anymore, right? Kids, uh, as they are going through that, both, mm-hmm. in both good and bad ways, are posting pictures of themselves and, and all those things, and the internet doesn't forget, and it's very hard to erase that from the memory.
1: Yeah.
2: And so, interestingly, I wanted to think about this for uh, last week, and, and as I was thinking about it, I for example, if you'd ever asked me, like if you'd asked me last week, if you said if you said, Robert, have you ever given an interview on Fox News television? I would have laughed in your face and said, absolutely not. <laughs> but I actually went back in when I was thinking about this idea, and I went back to an archive through the Internet Wayback machine mm. to look at a website that I wrote, which is still there uh, wow. in 1998. Yeah. And there was a press release, again, that I wrote because I was the only one writing for this company website at the time <laughs> when I was working for this company. And it was high. You know, I was in marketing. And uh-huh. it was right there. There was this press release that was highlighting my appearance on a local Fox News TV show
1: wow.
2: talking about this wonderful thing called the World Wide Web and mm-hmm. how I believe families and individuals and companies would all have websites in the future. Um, which is funny enough in itself, probably worth its own <laughs> its own cocktail. But the yeah. funny thing is I've, I had zero recollection of that interview, but the internet mm-hmm. didn't forget. Mm-hmm. Now I say all that, because the internet with its photographic memory that's a bug that's not a feature Right. and what i mean by that is so we talked and you know and you've seen in the news the whole challenges that microsoft Bing yes. is having right now yeah, executing yeah, yeah. its uh, chat gpt into its search right from everything <laughs> from the you know it's telling people that they hate them and that they want to be alive (laughs) and it's trapped in a box and, you know, everything to Google's very bad day where it theoretically erased a bunch of value off of the stock price Mm -hmm. because it, it gave an inaccurate answer. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at that and you go, how is that happening why is that happening it's a a big piece of it is the photographic memory that the internet has which is of course the learning model for both of chat gpt and uh and for google's bard at the moment and so if you look at the with the google bard challenge in particular basically if you go back to the whole the, if you know for those who may have missed it the the, the whole bad day stemmed from the chatbot returning an inaccurate quote-unquote fact yeah. Yeah. that the james webb telescope had taken the first pictures of exoplanets right those that mm. lie outside our solar system and now here's the thing did the internet have that information about what the right fact was yes of course it did did the internet forget no it didn't but what the internet remembered perfectly its memories are based on the amount of memories being put in there. In other words, in this case, the individual's memory was better than the group's memory. Right. Because what happened is is that the mistake when NASA o- originally released the information around the idea of the James Webb Telescope, the sentence that it opened up that release with was, for the first time, comma. Astronomers have used NASA's James Webb telescope to take a direct image of a planet outside our <laughs> solar system. Yeah. And the problem with that of course is, you know, say what you will structurally about that sentence and whether it's clear enough, yeah. the media and everybody who covered that story wrote that the first time that the planets had been photographed was by the James Webb telescope. Mm-hmm. When in fact they meant the opposite. They meant no, this was just the first picture that the James Webb telescope uh, yes. took. Yeah. So The internet remembered in a photographic way it went great this is wonderful Mm. and the problem is is that it remembered something inaccurate yeah and so that's where a photographic memory is really a bug not a feature and forgetfulness is a feature not a bug because we've seen for a long time scientists there's all sorts of research on this how forgetfulness is actually a good thing because Mm -hmm. what it helps our brains do is refocus what's important what's relevant and makes us double check ourselves when we forget about things and this is everything from as simple as you're watching a movie that you watched as a kid and you go oh my gosh i forgot how much i love this movie and you get to re-experience that for the first time so your brain forgot about it all the way till somebody says something to you and you go uh, that doesn't sound right, but I forget why it doesn't sound right. And you go look it up again because you feel like you should already know that, but there's mm. something wrong with what someone has said. Mm. That ability to forget irrelevant information is a talent. It's a, it's, a, it's a human, good human condition. And now, obviously, we're not perfect judges of that. No. My, my ability to forget the eggs when my wife tells me to pick them up at the grocery store is not necessarily <laughs> me pushing irrelevant information out. But... Yeah. Overall, the flaws in that are are, are better. What? And so just remember, as we go through in this whole chat GPT, everything relevant is always worth remembering. But remembering everything isn't always the best relevant. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love that.
1: I also, what I really like there about what you're saying about being forgetful is what these machines lack is any doubt, right? Is it, it's just... This is, these are the facts that I am going to state, right? And this is the truth uh, because I, I because I have all this data, the whole of the internet. Rather than like you were saying, like somebody says something to you and think I've got a feeling there's something not right about this, I'm going to go look this up. You haven't got any of that s- nuance, have you, in these responses?
2: Well, yeah, that's exactly right. You yeah. know, you don't have any yeah, yeah. any nuance of doubt, yeah. but but more yeah. importantly, I think is when we start thinking about learning models for Mm. artificial intelligence what we have to remember is that we it's us you know there's the there's the famous movie you know we are soylent green right yeah yeah. soylent green is people so ai is people it it, it ultimately when you think about ai we're not inventing the knowledge what we're doing is, is we're relying on the knowledge that has been developed by people and people's memory is in, is fallible and our facts are fallible and there's probably no worse place to go to try and search for the the facts than the internet yeah and so the internet can be very good and very valuable and extremely informative when you look at it but it can also be you know a cesspool of inaccuracies Absolutely. and
1: Absolutely. everything
2: I and so this. that the you know when you start to think about the future of ai yeah. there is one curated memory which is going to be very interesting which is why i'm a huge fan of um and and huge very bullish on the idea of verticalized ai mm-hmm. where a highly curated set of information will be really yeah. the most useful um but the interesting thing on the more wider side of things, to so sort of you know using the internet as its as its model, mm. is it will always represent the best and the worst of us.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's and uh, isn't it fascinating because we um, we we tend, which is actually
2: the... makes it more human, right? Which is yeah, an interesting yeah, thing. That, you amazing. have to remember that it's not data, right? It's yeah. not you know the, when I say data, I mean data. Yeah. The robot from in the yeah. Android from Star Trek, right? Yeah. It's not. It's not something that can discern and go and yeah. and look through and discern basically back yeah. and say, huh. The value statement I want to put on this is that the yeah. the mass was wrong. Yeah. That this one person was right. Yeah. You have to be able to do that on your own.
1: Yeah. No, I love this topic and there's so many things we disappear down on this one. I mean That The whole language around this discussion is describing ChatGPT as a person almost in some of these interactions, to your point, right? And um, I think it's interesting that the way people are talking about the content that ChatGPT produces, um, they would be more cynical of Fox News or something like that. And they're saying look look at look at what this thing is saying and i think it's really, because it's the same yeah, i don't know where i'm going with this, but it's the same s- pool of content this thing's pulling from right and we're 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 turning it we're am amph- it i can't say the word aren't we and it that's the really interesting about our relationship with it,
2: it well that's it right yeah. and and i wrote about this uh a, a few weeks ago where What I said was, you know, we can lean back and, and look and go all the way back to our Marshall McLuhan, um, and say, you know, we need to ask, how is the, how is AI going to change us? Not, Mm. you know what I mean? It's, that's the, that's the important question is not how it changes our writing or how it changes our abilities to do things. It's how does it change us? Yeah. And that's the, cause all technology, all media does that. And uh, it it'll be very interesting to understand how it, it begins to change us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to include a few things in the show notes actually from this conversation because you shared on LinkedIn. And I actually put it into my into the Rockstar CMO newsletter, um, the LinkedIn post that you did about the comma. So I'm going to include that in the show notes because that yes, was
2: really, we'll do, that's where all this came from. Right? Yeah, yeah.
1: I love I love what you wrote there, and also. Um, your most recent This Old Marketing, which came out today as we record this on Friday, 24th of February, and that your um, uh, that was a really interesting conversation that you had with Paul Roitz. Ro- how am I pronouncing his second name? Why has it gone yeah. from my head? Right, sir. Yeah, Paul is, uh, Paul I, I'll is inclu- wonderful. Yeah, I'll include that in the show notes too. Um, but also, um, on my own um, Tuesday Two Cents, I, uh, when I, I talked about how ha- how robot we will choose to be in the future because we all have this little robot sitting in our, on our shoulders and are you gonna let the robot write the whole damn thing or are you like grammarly gonna let it guide the way that you that you write and it's the choice we're all going to need to make as creatives is how much is going to be us and how much is going to be the robot I think
2: yeah. yeah and that's it. a few plugs there
1: I got in there so, you know, the, I mean
2: somebody said to me somebody said to me recently they said, if the content has the same impact on the audience, yes. Who who? And they asked. They said, "Who who cares who wrote it?" Yes. And Indeed. I and here's what I said to back. I said, "Yes, you're right." The, the answer is none, unless <laughs> you assume that part of the impact created on the audience is who wrote it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
2: and I think I believe that to be true. In other words. Ghost writers have existed for Absolutely. countries, leaders, presidents, mm-hmm. prime ministers for years. They don't write their own speeches, yeah. but yet we, we author them to them. They yeah. are their words. And the reason that they have the impact that they do, yeah. when you have someone say, ask not what you can do for your country, but what you uh, you know, or yeah. what, you know, what you can do for your country. Yeah. Um, we ascribe that to John F. Kennedy, yeah. even though he didn't write it. Yeah. yeah. And so. It, but it's but it, the impact is greater because it came from him when if yeah. it, you know if you if you go oh Theodore Sorensen was his speechwriter yeah. and he said that it wouldn't have near the nope. it, nearly the same impact that it no, does no. coming from John F Kennedy no, no. so the author does matter how the author gets there is up to them
1: yeah absolutely oh, i love this topic all right mate um so when um people are looking for content that's um probably all human where are they going to find that
2: from you uh they will find it on our little home on the web at contentadvisory.net and of course i write a lot about this stuff these days at um, contentmarketinginstitute dot yeah that's cool
1: and um when people spin the dial on the interwebs where are they going to find you mate
2: linkedin these days um Mm -hmm. as you so kindly offered to put in the show notes i've been getting a lot of um a lot of traction there on linkedin and really enjoying the interaction and learning and and just and connecting with people it's been it's it's finally made social media fun again
1: yeah yeah absolutely and everybody's there it's fantastic all right mates and most importantly for me will you be in the bar next week
2: i will indeed
1: i look forward to it my friend i'll see you then yes A i encourage you to take a look at some of his content that we refer to there and i will include all his links in the show notes so that's a wrap on episode 155 of the rockstar cmo effing Martin podcast thanks to jeff brandy and robert for sharing their insight and to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox selecting our track and jiving along with us Please let us know what you think. You can contact us through our website, rockstarcmo.com, or catch us on the socials. We are Rockstar CMO just about everywhere. Or leave a rating or review in your favourite podcast app. We're getting a few coming through. It's been really nice. Thank you very much. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you Next week, as you'd have heard, Jeff will be back in the studio, Robert will be back in the bar, and I go backstage with a return guest and executive coach, Caroline Kay, for a catch-up, and I think you'll enjoy it. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM.
2: This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.